It's Calgary's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hello, this is Mario Taniguzzi coming to you today with Calgary's podcast, a member of Canada's Podcast Network, where we talk to the entrepreneurs who are making it happen in Calgary, Alberta, so you can listen, discover, and engage. Today's guest is Hugo Bonjean, who is president of Spirit Hills Winery, uh, which is located in Millerville, Alberta, just south of Calgary's city limits. Welcome to the show, Hugo, and thanks for taking the time today to be here for our listeners. Thanks for having me, Mario. So tell me, uh, let's start, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the history and what Spirit Hills Winery is. So we're a, vo- a honey winery in the foothills of the um, Rocky Mountains, just half hour southwest of Calgary. Um, and so we make really wines with that are rooted in, in the terroir of the foothills um, with all Alberta ingredients. And our goal from the beginning was to uh, create a wine product that um, would really be rooted in the culture of uh, Alberta and, and in its, its land and soil here. Okay, then. So uh, can you explain a little bit more about uh, what goes into that wine? So um, our fermentable sugar it comes from honey, uh, and we have 900 beehives that are um, in the foothills between Highway um, 22 and the mountains, and uh, between Highway 3 and, and high, you know, Highway 1. And then we use local berries for our reds, which um, are black currants predominantly in some Saskatoons, and then we age that into oak barrels. Well, we in essence, and then we use flowers for our white and our rosé. And so in essence, what we've done is when we started off, we deconstructed the different layers in um, flavor profile of your traditional red, white, and rosé grape wine. And then we reconstructed that with local ingredients. And so for our red wine, for instance, we use black currants that gives us the color and the flavor up front, the honey-built structure in between, and then we put that in oak for a year uh, in Hungarian and French oak. And so that gives us a bunch of aging plus then the flavors we extract from the oak that that balances it all out. Cool. When did you start this business, by the way? We we started seven years ago now. Um, Our family comes from uh, generations of French winemakers. and so the Bonjean Vineyard still exists in the center of France as well. Oh, cool. Wow. I'll have to pay a visit next time I'm in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me uh, a little bit about the business and how it's been in those seven years um, for you. It's been growing uh, very steadily, which has been you know, very exciting, of course. Like we, It started really off as a as you know, the idea of having a smaller retirement business for me and my wife, and it has since then uh, turned into uh, a full-fledged family farm um, with my son being the next generation winemaker. And, and he's basically doing all the wine work now. He apprenticed with me for four years. And um, we're now exporting to Japan and to Europe. Um, Europe is, is really uh, where a lot of exciting things are happening. In what way can you explain that? You know, the, the European, of course, we, we come, we, we have our European roots, uh, from my accent. Um, and so, but the European fine dining world is way um, further developed than, than the North American and certainly the Canadian fine dining world. And so we, we ended up introducing our wines to uh, some of the fine dining restaurants in Europe 
the sommeliers there were absolutely blown away. And it was actually sommeliers, uh, it was a group of sommeliers that introduced us to a higher end and higher end and higher end restaurants each time. And so um, we ended up presenting it uh, in April last year, I think it was February last year. We presented it to a two-star Michelin restaurant in Belgium. And, and so the Michelin star is, uh, system um, has three stars. There's only one restaurant in all of Belgium. There's a few restaurants in, in France that have a three-star. So getting a three-star Michelin restaurant is, is you know, kind of like hardly possible. If you have a two-star Michelin, there's 12 two-star Michelin restaurants in Belgium. So they're the top of the top. And so they were so blown away with our dandelion wine um, that they actually, they've been serving it since then. The nice thing with the European... Um, with the European fine dining world is that uh, the sommeliers and the chef decide on what they will pair the wine with. And so the consumer is not the one that chooses the wine because if you, frankly, if you are taking the wrong wine with the wrong dish, you're not going to have a good experience. And so in Europe, they prevent that because they really want to offer you, you know, an absolute exquisite fine dining experience. And so as a result, they make the dish, they offer the wine with it together. And so our dandelion wine has been on the menu now for almost a year uh, in that restaurant. And, and they, it's, you know, been paired with uh, one of their signature dishes there on their tasting menu. Okay, I have to ask. Uh, okay, and you can't answer your own wines, but what's your favorite wine? <laughs> um, well, I do, I, I do drink a lot of the dandelion wine. Oh, really? <laughs> It's uh, it, it really depends on what's on on the circumstances. Yeah. And so, um, given the fact that we're sitting at the source here, and once you actually start drinking honey wine, um, which is very different from what traditional mead is, which people often know, um, is that it it really becomes you know, each time when I taste grape wine now, it's it often tastes harsh to me. Um, it's the, the honey wines are way smoother in, in the finish. Mm. Uh, they also, we had them analyzed in food labs as part of our exports. They've been analyzed to the yin yang. Uh, the antioxidants are on average hundred times higher as well, uh, than, than red grape wine. And so it depends on the circumstance. Like I, I often, you know, like to start my evening off with a, with a glass of dandelion wine. Um, usually with my meal, cause I'm, I'm a meat eater. I, I love my, my steak. I'll have a glass of Sasquatch, which is our dry red. And then um, when, uh, you know, before dinner or after dinner, like before going to bed, I usually like to have a little piece of chocolate or something. And I'll have a glass of wild rose wine with that. Sounds like a great routine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? It's kind of funny because when you're talking about uh, honey, uh, I don't think many people realize that Alberta is uh, one of the top producers in the country for honey. Yes, actually, um, that is when we started off and we were looking at, okay, what what kind of sugar, because fermentation starts with sugar. And and so with grape wine, you start with really sweet grape juice. Um, And so I I traveled in my previous life as the corporate executive. I, I had the opportunity of traveling the world. And one of the things I always enjoyed was that it's in all these different countries, the unique liquor beverages that are developed and they're always rooted in their local sugars Hmm. it started uh when we deconstructed um you know traditional wine 
and looked at what's available out here to really construct something from local ingredients, um, it, it led us clearly to honey. And so um, Alberta produces 48% of Canada's honey. We produce 1% of all the exported honey in the world. We have like our, the quality of our honey is, is appreciated and highly priced in countries like Japan. And we have the highest, highest average production per beehive in, in the world. And this province alone has more than 300,000 beehives. It became very obvious that, that honey would culturally, historically, if, if we would have started to ferment much earlier, would have been the, the sugar of choice and, and is culturally very significant. What's your vision for the company as you look forward into coming years? I know you said it was a retirement thing for you, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really are. I, I wrote a hundred year vision for, for the company now because it, it really is. Um, we want to establish a, a you know, hundred plus year family farm business now. And so, you know, I have my, my first grandchild and the second one's on the way. Um, and I'm hoping those will become next generations of winemakers again. And, and so it's, it's gotten much bigger. Um, of course, we want to keep our roots very strongly here in uh, Alberta, in these foothills, because it's where our honey comes from. It's the beautiful wildflower honey from this area. It's where berries come from, the flowers come from. And so we want to keep that representation. It's very important for our international markets, the, the purity of nature and the area where um, we harvest our ingredients from. Mm -hmm. And so in the future, like on an international scale, we're really um, moving more into the upscale markets. And so, you know, the vision basically is that uh, Spirit Hill wines will, will enter into upscale restaurants, uh, not only in Europe, like we're working on the US uh, and on some of the Asian markets as well. Okay. What's um, uh, the biggest challenge uh, you've faced in uh, being an entrepreneur? It, uh, provincial and municipal regulation. We moved here, we moved 22 years ago to Alberta because this was, and, and we looked all over Canada. We, we looked actually first all over the world before we picked Canada, and then we looked all over Canada. And Alberta um, always had, and still has, the most entrepreneurial spirit and, and kind of a shoot of the hip mentality. You know, people would always say, yes, you can. And so it has this can-do mentality. I had a nine-year stint as an author, and I, I used to tour the country coast to coast to sign books for people. And we are blessed with, with, I think, Alberta is blessed with the most friendliest and, um, and adventurous people in, in terms of, you know, willing to try new things and embracing things that are Alberta. Mm -hmm. so, so the municipal barriers were the biggest, um, municipal and provincial barriers, they've been the biggest barriers. I had no idea when I started as an entrepreneur how much time I would spend lobbying the provincial government or working with the AGLC or um, working with the county to somehow allow us to grow. Um, and I must say, they've all been good with it. It's all, but it, it takes time to really create sales opportunities where regulation prevents you of having, taking those opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Um as you look back on your career as an entrepreneur, 
you remember any sort of advice uh, that you, the best piece of advice you may have received from someone? Yeah, there's there's been a few. One is, um, I was taught early on in my career that by one of my main mentors that um, one count your blessings. And, and I've had the opportunity to work in, in countries in South America and Central America and, and seeing some you know, devastating poverty and, and environmental destruction there. And so whenever I usually look at problems here and I compare it with some of these past things I've seen in the past, it's, it's easy to count our blessings because we live in a blessed country, even though things might not always go the way we want them or, you know, we might want things to go faster or quicker or, or different. But, but we live in, you know, we're really blessed in this country. And by seeing the glass half full, which is what you do when, when you count your blessings, uh, it's much easier to see the opportunities around you and to grow from that. The other thing that I've, that, uh, that same mentor actually taught me was um, to concentrate my time on what I can influence and really put my efforts there rather than um, on things that I have absolutely no control or influence over. Yeah, exactly. So if you weren't doing this right now and making these great wines uh, for, for the world, <laughs> what would you be doing, do you think, for, as a career? You know, I, I kind of, I ended up here by choice. So there isn't really anything else I want to do. And I look at my entire life and, and it, it really, if I look back at the entire life, everything kind of prepared me for this. You know, like every, I've done very, a variety of different things in my life from hotel development um, to writing books to hotel operations. I've, I've worked in Europe, South America, North America, learned a number of different languages and everything I've basically done in the past all seem, I, I use everything. All those I've developed in the past, all those experiences, some of the contacts, they all come into play in doing what I'm doing now. Excellent. It's great when people can find exactly what they want, right, and their passion. You mentioned books a few times. I'm just curious, what kind of books did you write? I wrote um, three novels um, that dealt with social and environmental issues in the world, and I'll probably write a fourth one after I, um, you know, in a couple of years, and it will be about, you know, Spirit Hills and, and that story. And the books were used for a number of years at um, universities and high schools um, because they, they just, you know, allowed students to engage with real life and important topics, but, in, but kind of read about it in, in kind of a novel and, and storytelling way. Oh, okay, great. And also you mentioned travel a lot in uh, all the places that you've gone to. Uh, is, do you have a favorite place that you, you like the most? I live here, Spirit Hill. <laughs> I, got there's another right beside you. What <laughs> do you want? It, um, when we moved here, we, we really, it's one of the things that made us move out of Europe is um, I, I always thought it was odd that, you know, we, we lived in Belgium and, and while I like Belgium, I like the beer and I like the chocolate and I like Antwerp. It's not really the country where I wanted to live or raise my kids in. And at that point, I wanted to go on vacation somewhere else. And I thought it was an odd concept that people would go on vacation, you know, two, two weeks, four weeks a year uh, to a place they really wanted to live. And I thought it was way more efficient to actually move to where you really wanted to live 
and then build your life around it. And then you can use your vacation to go visit family or do some other things. But, it, you know, uh, and so that's in essence what we did. We really picked a place where we wanted to live in the world and that we thought was the best place that I've seen. And, and that's where we moved to. Okay, I'm going to explain just briefly for our listeners who may not be aware of Millerville. Millerville is just south of Calgary, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in the prairies, but the foothills are there right beside it and the rocky mountains are in the distance that you can see almost every morning i presume from your place maybe describe uh, where you live and and why you love living out there so when you actually get out on my deck or you walk from from the house to the winery you can't hear a sound we are half hour south of calgary of a major metropolitan we are one hour of a major international airport and I have grizzly bears, I have elk, I have moose, I have deer, I have cougars all running through the pasture here. I can, I can see them from my office when they come through because I've got a big door, that I, big glass door that I look through. And so, but, but that whole idea of silence is so special to find that in such proximity to a major metropolitan. And you, you, you can't find it anywhere else in the world. Yeah, you know, uh, it reminds me of a time uh, years ago, my first time I actually um, uh, went down to Longview area, right? And and for our yeah, listeners yeah. out there, Longview is not far away from Millerville. And I, I had the same experience. I, I, I took a, a, a side road. I was going to visit this rancher, took this side road, and I was supposed to meet him at his gate, right? And, uh, and uh, so I drove and stopped the vehicle and then just stood there and waited for him. And it was kind of eerie, the silence. It was unbelievable. And I remember, I remember hearing like a little buzz and I was going, what the heck is that? And then I, 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 I saw and way up in the sky, the distance was an airplane, but it was just like a little buzz, right? And that's how quiet uh, it was out there. Yeah, it's, it's such pristine parts of the world in terms of, you know, the creeks and the, the wildlife and it's, you know, yeah, I just love it. That's where, you know, it's kind of where I get my energy from. Like I, I like hills when I, I do a lot of brainstorming and, you know, I think it's important as an entrepreneur to let your mind just wander and, and think about things and take some time for that. And I doing that when, um, when I hike or, you know, just spend time out in the bush, the bees of course help with that as well. Like, the, if you went to the bee yard, I can take people into a bee yard and you walk out after three hours and you think an hour passed. The buzzing of the bees is so relaxing and, and you're so focused that it almost becomes like meditation, but it, it's, or it's kind of meditative. It's, it's really, it's cool. Wow, that's really interesting. Okay, I'm going to ask you a, a, a different question. Uh, Hugo is uh, sort of our final question of today is okay so imagine that uh, a beautiful island just in the tropics in the middle of the ocean we're going to take you there we're going to drop you off uh there there's no phone there uh, there's actually one phone but there's no internet nothing else there two questions uh you can phone us at any time and we'll come pick you up first of all how long is it going to take you to make that phone call secondly what do you think you'd be doing outside of making wine <laughs> on the island? <laughs> um, I'd probably call you back in about a week. Uh -huh. It wouldn't take that long, I think. Um, 
it's kind of almost like what modification um, in January usually looks like, although I do have technology there. A week, usually I run, I run pretty long days and I run my body pretty hard. So for that week, I'm going to do, take a lot of rest. I'm going to hang out in the sea a bit. I'm going to soak up the sun. Might see if there's anything to hunt um, and to eat. Like I love good food. Anything I can cook and come up with in terms of foods. You know, I, I, I love making good food and cooking. So, but yeah, I probably just rest and brainstorm and just let my mind go into, you know, what else, what next, how do we do things better? What can we improve? How can we grow further? Okay, super then. Thanks very much. And thanks for joining us today, uh, Hugo. That was great. Thank you. Hey there. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to Calgary's podcast on Canada's podcast network. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters and write a review for us on iTunes and then connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Canada's Podcast. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. See you next time.